Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And don't forget, you can follow at JTime Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Now, in this week's episode, I'll be talking about the NFL and what's happening there. I will touch on our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We will talk about some huge college football news. We will talk about the NBA and what's going down there, and we will have our best for last. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. Um, I have a lot of energy today. I will admit that I am very energized today. A lot of stuff going on in the sports world. A lot of developments happening with Justin Thomas Sports. Uh, we're going to jump right into the latter as far as the former. Um, we went viral. Uh, really viral, actually. Um, and I know I celebrated my Jameis Winston's post. Uh, we were the first I seen any news outlet really reporting torn ACL um, along with NCL damage out for the season. That moved big time numbers, um, crazy impression numbers, etc. Uh, my first viral post. Um, and so um, it's a, kind of a tie in. So we're going to talk about later. But Brian Kelly, uh, as you guys know, is the new LSU football coach. And I posted pretty much his contract, um, broken down bonuses, um, incentives, different stuff he's got. We're going to talk about a little more later, more details rather. Um, And it went insanely viral. Um, The page has grown five times in likes. Um, People following it has grown five times uh, what it was. We went over two million people reached. Um, 330 some thousand shares, or 300,000 interactions rather. Um, that was of yesterday, so I, I mean, it takes like 2.3 million people reached 330 some thousand um, interactions, and um, so absolutely huge numbers. Shout out to all of you guys out there, um, that supported that. So I appreciate it. We're gonna keep the info coming. Um, the more I know, the more you guys will know. We're gonna keep that kind of info rolling, keep that kind of content coming. Uh, especially with you guys being so interested in. But again, we'll talk about it more and talk about some of the fan reactions to it um, a little bit more uh, up next or in a few segments, rather, and we'll go to college football. But as always, when the NFL is in season, we jump right into the NFL. Huge game last night in terms of it had its ups and it had its downs in terms of both teams needing the game for a different reason. Um one of those things was the two teams playing obviously with the dallas cowboys and the new orleans saints for the new orleans saints it was about trying to save your season uh they have been tanking pretty much ever since uh james winston got hurt the team has been spiraling down um and if you're the dallas cowboys you were looking to regain your footing they had lost three of the last four including their last two summarily embarrassed in two of those three losses um a little breaking news, a little bit of breaking news. Dalvin Cook is officially ruled out for Sunday with his shoulder injury. Um, I, along with a few other guys, had reported that he was out one to two weeks. So it was, you know, expected he would be out this week. But a little bit of breaking news there for you Vikings fans out there. Um, 
Dalvin Cook will, will miss this week, has a decent chance of playing next week. Although I call it 50 50, a little less than 50 50, to be honest. Um, but in three weeks, he should be good to go. Hopefully, you guys have something to play for. But that Dallas trying to get their ship right. Washington was starting to get their life together. It was one of those, man, if Dallas blows this opportunity, will they get one better than this? And so the game was played. Uh, New Orleans made a change at quarterback. They went to Taysom Hill, who was a recipient of a very interesting contract a few weeks ago. It was four years, up to $95 million. But the $95 million was tied to him becoming the Saints' starting quarterback um, over the next four years. So I assume it has something to do with per-game bonuses. So if he's the starting quarterback for a game, he gets X amount more money. Um than he would and i guess whatever that money is equaled out to an extra 50 million dollars give or take from his current uh max value if he never becomes a starting quarterback um is about 40 million 40 45 million so a huge amount of money on the line for Taysom hill to become the same starting quarterback he had his first real audition this season after going 3-1 last season he had his first audition this season and it could have gone better Dallas defense is very opportunistic. Taysom Hill did suffer an injury, though. It's called um, mallet finger. It's similar to what Russell Wilson had, or pretty much is the Russell Wilson injury, where you kind of jam your finger to the point where it tears the ligament uh, that connects your top two finger bones. His is done on his middle finger. Uh, so he had like a droopy finger. He put a splint on it. He kept playing. Uh, I thought that was a poor decision at that point. Even if he was the better quarterback when healthy, and that's debatable between him and Trevor Simeon, he has no chance of being the better quarterback with a mallet finger. But Sean Payton decided to keep him in the game, and so he continued to play. And he played pretty poorly. Uh, he threw four interceptions, who um, a pick six to a defensive lineman, and not like a defensive lineman pick six where he gets tipped in the air and he kind of just floats around for a little bit, and then somebody grabs it. Nope, not at all. He threw it right to him. It was a great play by the defensive lineman. I mean, very athletic play. It was a bullet pass. It was within two, three yards of each other. And he just reached up, grabbed the ball, and took off running into the end zone. He ran it back for a pick six. Huge play for the Dallas Cowboys in general. Um, Sealed the game, right? And then you had a lot of uh, situations before that. Trayvon Diggs with his ninth interception of the season on a pretty easy interception from Taysom Hill. Um, you have a great acrobatic interception off a Aaron pass a little bit uh, that was deflected in the corner. It fully extends, drags both feet. Very impressive interception. Uh, catch in general, but even more impressive that it was a defensive player uh, making the play. And then, you know, you had Dak Prescott on the other side doing just enough to win the game. Um, he had Amari, Gallup, and um, CeeDee Lamb for the first time since week one, I believe. And the first drive showed off what they could be. CD had a great catch and run off a bubble screen. Amari Cooper got open out the middle of the field, had a great catch. And Michael Gallup with the catch of the year candidate. Um, catching it, doing a pirouette, and dragging and tapping both feet in bounds in the corner of the end zone. Absolutely impressive. Like I said, a catch of the year candidate um, for the Cowboys. And, and it's just, you saw what the Dallas offense could be. Micah Parsons flashed and got his 10th sack. Um, so you saw what Dallas could be. It just wasn't nearly enough of it, especially what Dallas fans would want. But they were able to pull out a victory in New Orleans. 27-17, which is never easy. Um, 
Ask any team that's ever played in New Orleans. It is not a fun place to play to be the road team. And But Dallas pulled it off. They go to 8-4, get a two-and-a-half, three-game lead on the NFC East. And in my opinion, pretty much sealed it at this point. Now, we're going to jump into last week's games. Um, the steel curtain fell hard. It was actually attacked by a group of Bengal Tigers. No, I'm not talking about the Berlin Wall in Russia or the steel curtain in Russia. I am referring to the steel curtain as in the Pittsburgh Steelers. They were summarily destroyed by Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. They were absolutely wrecked. Um, It wasn't even kind of close. It was close for the first six minutes of the game. Then after that, uh, Cincinnati takes a commanding control. At one point, it was 35-0, I believe. 35-7 going into halftime right after a pick six. Absolutely brutal. Um, But if you're Pittsburgh, if you're Pittsburgh, oddly, I'd be a little happy. Look, Pittsburgh, you know this team had no winning win championship. And for the majority of you that I've spoken to, you knew Big Ben was the reason you probably would not get there. Was he the sole reason? No. The offensive line is pretty poo. Um, but other than that, Ben Roethlisberger was pretty much holding you back. But you couldn't get rid of him. He's a franchise legend. And legends tend to be... be tied into, well connected into the owner, which Ben Roethlisberger is. So it would have to end poorly enough where the owner, even with his rose colored glasses, can no longer look at Ben Roethlisberger and say, yeah, Ben, you're the you're the best possible person we can put back there at quarterback. Because Ben Roethlisberger is old, controlling, admittedly a little depressing, and kind of sad to look at these days. He threw a really bad pick six to Mike Hilton Jr. Um, he threw an out route way late, way inside. Mike Hilton Jr. like he ran the route better than receiver. And it was pick six. <clears throat> at one point, Ben was on his hands and knees trying to get up off of, after a hit. It's just, it has to end poorly. They can't even make the playoffs. I need And I need the week 18 game to be an absolute failure because if he ends on a high note, if he goes out with 375 and four touchdowns, that might convince him, hey, I still got a little bit left. I just had to squeeze a little bit out the juice. I squeeze a little bit out the orange, rather. So it needs to be a three pick, no touchdown, 55% completion kind of game from Ben Roethlisberger in that final week 18 game in order to convince him it is now time to retire and move on, which I strongly believe that it is. And I think Cincinnati took to put him out the pasture. But speaking of that Cincinnati team, that team's got a little bit of everything. They got a great run game in Joe Mixon. They got a great young quarterback, Joe Burrow. They're getting a pass rush now led by um, Trey Hendrickson. Clearly that secondary can catch, as we've seen from the uh, interceptions they took from Ben Roethlisberger. And things that we were worried about, they don't necessarily have that issue. We worried about Zach Taylor as a coach. I haven't seen him blunder any uh, spots. I've seen Mike McCarthy blunder a ton of spots. Um, we were worried about the Bengals offensive line. Massively underrated offensive line heading to the year. Uh, one of the things I spoke about was that they did have uh, a good left tackle, and they were kind of situated in the middle. And so when you got that going for you, it is really advantageous 
to try and do um, anything offensively because you have the requisite pieces to do so. So they were very underrated on the offensive line. Um, and their receivers are really, really good. T. Higgins, Jamar, Cho- uh, Jamar Chase, rather, um, is a very good duo. And then they have a third receiver whose name escapes me at the moment. But they have two really, really good receivers. Uh, and so when you have that in Cincinnati, you already a smack Baltimore. The Bengals are coming. They swept Pittsburgh. They are coming for the AFC North crown. Uh, they have one date left with Baltimore, and then they'll have a few other games, obviously, and they are hopeful to get the AFC North crown. And now we're going to shift to a different game. Um, the headline here is Colts bow to LF7. Um, Leonard Fournette, or Leonard Fournette, um, he, had, he went to four tutties, uh, as Ron Gronkowski would say. He scored four total touchdowns, had 100 rushing yards, uh, four total touchdowns, three through the three on the ground, one through the air, or one receiving rather. Fournette had a great day. If I'm Indianapolis this morning and I haven't watched the new episode of Hard Knocks, um, so I don't know how they're feeling following the loss, but I'd be pissed because many people, myself included, said, "Man, Indy can get this five. I told you guys, get the five and five. And they probably go five and seven, and then have to have to make it up on the back end and go eight and nine, nine and eight if they're lucky. Hopefully Tennessee comes back to the pack, etc. You make him make a wild card after all, though you would need a miracle to win the division. You may make a wild card after all. And then they blew Buffalo out, 41-15. Um, the second time this year they've had a unique score, which would be the first time that scores ever happened in the NFL. Um, and they have a lead on Tampa. They, I mean, at one point, I'm thinking, man, Tampa about to lose this game. Another good team, Tampa would have lost to. The Colts are going to go 7-5 and five instead of 5-7. and seven. Now they don't need all that much help. You know, I mean, they need some help, but they don't need nearly as much as they would have at 5-7 and seven, uh, to catch Tennessee, possibly win the AFC South anyway, you know. And I'm thinking all that. Um, and then the third quarter happened. The Colts stopped running the ball. I think they ran it one time in the whole third quarter. Uh, Tampa Bay Bucks started coming back. Uh, Frank Wright felt like he wanted to prove Carson Wentz was the man instead of proving that I'm the man I can win this football game. And so he focused a lot on Carson Wentz and a lot less on Jonathan Taylor. Um, and Carson Wentz didn't throw the ball bad in the third quarter, but he wasn't as good as he was in the first two. Uh, offense slowed down. Tampa kept getting possessions. Uh, next thing you know, Tampa's in, in the lead. The real offense comes back, but at that point, Tampa's already figured it out, starting to roll and um, kind of make Jonathan Taylor's second half, fourth quarter, even though it was a good one, kind of moot. Um, and the reason why this game was important was, again, playoff seating. I'm, I'm loving the amount of playoff-relevant games that are happening right now across the league. Um, this game featured... A team that's going to win their division, Tampa Bay. So at this point, it's about getting there healthy. You're not going to be the one seed, but you're not going to lose your division if you're Tampa. So at this point, it's about getting healthy. Get healthy. That is it. Um, And juxtapose that with the Colts. They're trying to get healthy, and they're trying to win. So they can't even take the approach of, oh, we'll be all right. We're just going to sit a guy that doesn't need to be sit. I don't need to be sat because he has a little nick or a neck. We're going to sit him because his health is the most important thing to do because the winning is done. Or, the, or what we have to win is done. And instead, you get a situation where 
or because of this rather, you get a situation where these teams are really, really competing hard because both of them are playing for something. Uh, for Tampa, it's about momentum and uh, keeping your team healthy. For Indianapolis, it's about getting healthy and gaining momentum um, as you try to gain, advance to the playoffs. But congratulations to Leonard Fournette on his four touchdown effort. Uh, kudos to him. Our next game will be a quick discussion, not that long at all, on Cam Newton's uh, performance. Cam. Oh, Cam. Five for 21. Three interceptions. Uh, one touchdown. Passer rating in the 20s. It was an absolute disaster. Um, I mean, there's no real explanation for it. I mean, um, I, I had a brain cramp moment trying to think of an explanation. There, there is no explanation for it. Cam Newton played terrible um, by anybody's standard. Like I said, 5 for 21. By God, that's awful. Um, you add in the fact that there's video games and that He's just not good. It's just, and I, it, I, I hesitate to be the person to bury Cam Newton. I do. Miami's got a great defense. They do. But you've got to figure something out. Cam C Mac is gone. He's not coming back. He's been placed on IR for the second time this season. By rule, he is done for said season. So Joe Brady and Matt Rule have to figure out something to allow Cam Newton to be successful as a Carolina Panther without heavily relying on Christian McCaffrey. And I don't know if they have the ability to do that because their playbook feels like it's built around C-Mac. So I'm not sure they have the ability to eliminate Christian McCaffrey as a part of their plans and still maintain an aggressive attacking style. That'd be very interesting to keep an eye on there. Uh, kudos to the Miami Dolphins. Tua Tagovailoa has played his best couple of stretch of games um, in his career. Most people say it's due to Ryan um, Fitzpatrick being gone and then Jacoby Brissett not really being a threat, not really being in the future. Um, he's playing free and easy, and it shows. He's playing a lot better. Timing's a little better with Tua, so good job on that. And lastly... The Green Bay Packers and the Los Angeles Rams with a pack attack all over the Rams. Uh, Aaron Rodgers makes three throws a game where if you're a fan, you can't help but chuckle. The way the throws are that stupendous. You can't help but let out an involuntary chuckle at the throws that Aaron Rodgers decides to make. Um, I mean, throws that I'm sure Jordan Love has seen him throw a hundred times now and can't replicate anywhere near that level of success on his throws if you're a Jordan Love as opposed to Aaron Rodgers. Being an Aaron Rodgers makes you one of the one of percent. For Aaron Rodgers, one percent of the one percent in terms of quarterback with the amount of our talent to do what he does on a daily basis and continue to um, grow and learn. Now, as opposed to the Rams, they're dealing with trying to incorporate Von Miller already into a scheme that's not the defensive coordinators. Um, the Rams are also trying to incorporate Odell Beckham, who was obviously nicked in the last game. We'll provide an update on him later in the show. He was obviously nicked in the last game, and they kept 
uh, trying to get him the ball. They're missing Robert Woods. They don't have Cam Akers. A lot of the guys Matthew Stafford thought he was going to join in L.A. are not here, mostly due to injury. And so the pack attack was all over the Rams. They did a great job not letting a beaten team hang around long. They took advantage of them early um, and did their absolute best to hold them off late. And now for some quick hits. Um, Russell Wilson, in my opinion, would not be a Seattle Seahawks next season. I just don't see how that happens. I mean, unless Pete Carroll gets fired, which I don't see who's firing Pete Carroll. So I'm going to go with uh, Russell Wilson will be the one to divorce, and he will not be in Seattle next year. Where he goes is still up for debate. Baker Mayfield played like hot garbage on the sidewalk over the weekend. Um, they played those Pittsburgh Steelers we just mentioned. And, yeah, Baker played like hot garbage on a summer's day. Actually, he did not play the Pittsburgh Steelers. My apology. Uh, but Baker Mayfield's last week's game was terrible. Um... That did not go well in the slightest. Like I said, hot garbage on the summers today. 49ers are up. Way up. They are a trending, upward-moving stock. Those San Francisco 49ers, uh, they've won three or four straight. They're back to their identity. They're getting really, really physical with people on offense and defense. Their line play has been exceptional. And because of which, it is allowing the offense to not be as great. So Kyle Shanahan doesn't have to be that or doesn't have to be as dynamic really. If he is bullied by a good defense and a good run game, he doesn't have to be that creative on offense. And that's huge news for Kyle Shanahan, who can suffer a little bit from Sean McVay syndrome, which kind of losing your identity, enamored with doing something new. So it's good the fact that it um the way the team was playing is allowing Mr. Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan to stick to what he knows. Anthony, I'm sorry, Antonio Brown, my apologies, I don't know why I'm about to say Anthony Brown. Antonio Brown has been suspended three games along with a couple other players for falsifying their um, falsifying, falsifying their vaccine status. Now, according to Antonio Brown's agent, Antonio Brown is now vaccinated, um, but those players were suspended three games. Um, Prill's like a pretty big um, suspension. Considering that you are um, a league that does not enforce a vaccine mandate. So, therefore, you got two options. Either you follow the rules for an unvaccinated player or you go get vaccinated and you follow the rules for a vaccinated player. Regardless, if you're going to play in the NFL, you're going to have rules. You're going to have belt bosses. You're going to have interest in the relationship that you will not be able to have outside of it. Um, Lots of Lots and lots of uh, people have gotten the vaccine for work-related reasons. Now, according, like I said, according to Tony Brown's agent, he is now vaxxed. So, we're going to keep an eye on the situation. Three games really does feel like it's harsh, though. And lastly, Adrian Peterson has signed on um, to a practice squad. I want to say it's Seattle. Don't quote me on that. Um, but he has signed on to a practice squad. After having a very, very brief, um, yep, with the Seattle Seahawks, after a very, very brief stint with um, the Tennessee Titans, following following the injury rather of Derrick Henry, he is now on the Seattle Seahawks practice squad. 
with the expectation that he will be called up sooner rather than later. Seattle's always having running back issues. But up next, we're going to talk about NFL Week 13 with some loaded matchups there. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to shift to, we kind of stay in the NFL, we're going to shift to week 13 and talk about what's going down there. Plenty of huge mashups, a um, lot of playoff implications. Of course, you guys, and some of you guys may be new, um, we do the NFL's last week, the NFL this week, then we do Jack's Pack, which is our NFL betting segment. Um, if I talk about a game now and it's in Jack's pack, I will not pick a winner. I will instead discuss maybe some key points on both sides and then we'll emphasize them a little more in Jack's pack. So then we'll pick a winner there, obviously because of the point spread and stuff like that. But we will jump right into it with Chargers and Bengals, not in my Jack's pack. So I will pick a winner. Um, Chargers at Bengals, huge game. Reason why it's a monstrous game is that at this point, I don't think either team's gonna win their division. Um, Cincinnati currently would technically own the tiebreaker for Baltimore, and they play Baltimore again. However, at this time, I just don't see the Bengals catching Baltimore. I believe they're one and a half games back, which is not a, which is not a big margin, but Baltimore is a good team. And when good, what do good teams do? They find a way to win football games in Baltimore god it was ugly but they found a way to win against Cleveland uh they scrapped and scraped and pulled and clawed then jawed and he hauled their way to a victory uh Lamar threw four interceptions and one um just to remind you Taysom Hill threw four interceptions last night and lost so throwing four interceptions usually you lose uh it was the first quarterback to ever throw four interceptions and win or the first quarterback not ever but the first quarterback since 2013 rather um to throw four interceptions in the game and still win that game so huge credit to the ravens defense on um helping lamar out a lot uh the last game they were out and you look at the Bengals coming off a monstrous win versus the pittsburgh steelers but i like that mentality after the game um the Bengals really talked about man we got bill burrow said it we have bigger things on our mind than beating Pittsburgh. You know, and that kind of, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago, or last week, one of the two, where it was Burrow has a chance in Cincinnati to really make Cincinnati lose the old moniker of how the Bengals were looked at. And statements like, statement wins and statements like he made after the win saying we got bigger things on our mind than Pittsburgh um, really solidifies that thought process. But shifting over to the Chargers, they're continuing their up and down ways. Um, And so they're not catching the Chiefs, obviously, for the division. So they're trying to get in the playoffs. And two of these three teams, (laughs) you know, two. I mean, there's three wild card spots. I believe these two teams have a great shot at it. You look at a team like the Colts, another team with a great shot at it. Oh, somebody has to win the AFC East, either the Bills or the Patriots, whoever. Whoever doesn't win the division probably gets the other wild card spot. So it's gonna be a lot of teams in the um, AFC fighting for two spots. Cause I believe the Bills and the Patriots are in. 
Because right now the Bills are the second, the Bills are the fifth seed, and the Patriots are the second seed. And the only reason why they're not second and third is because they can't, because currently the Patriots are winning the division. But the Chargers continue to up and down ways, getting handled pretty decisively by the Broncos. Another team is going to be in that AFC wildcard mix, 28-13. Um, and so both teams need this game. I believe the Bengals, it's at home. They're fighting for a little bit more. They're fighting for a division, fighting for a narrative switch, fighting for a culture. Um, I believe they get the victory. I believe they win it by six, um, 30 to 24. Chargers, for some reason, give up a lot of passing yards. I don't know what that's about. And against balanced teams, they really tend to struggle, um, which is weird because you got guys like Derwin James, Kenneth Murray, Joey Bosa. Uh, they should not have let Melvin Ingram go. They've got a couple of good corners. So it's really weird that they, you know, they have a little difficulty on defense. Evidence Teddy Bridgewater and crew and Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke and crew scoring uh, 28 points last week. So I've got the Bengals by a score of 30 to 24 over the Los Angeles Chargers. The Washington football team will square off in Las Vegas against the Raiders. This game is in Jack's pack, so I will not pick a winner right now. But it is a huge game. Another one of those games with teams that will not catch their division leader, but will have a shot at, at an outside shot or just a good shot at the wild card. So you start off with Washington. They're in a division with the Dallas Cowboys. Those stinking Cowboys that won yesterday, they're in a division with them. The Cowboys are 8-4. Washington has five wins, I believe, this year. So it's going to be really, really hard uh, for Washington to catch Dallas, even though they do play them twice. So if they are two games back, they beat them twice. They'll technically have the same record, and they're on the tiebreaker. So that would be big, but I just don't see that happening. So this is huge for them to try and catch somebody for a wild card spot. Now, the NFC is not as lethal as the AFC, and so it's possible that a five-win team right now in the NFC has a chance at the wild card, has a good chance at the wild card. They're flipping over to Vegas. I don't know how I don't know how they're doing it. Honestly, I don't. I got no idea. I mean, your coach gets fired for being racist, misogynistic, and pretty much every other ism or istic on the planet. Um, then he files a lawsuit against the league claiming slander and defamation and libel um, because he claims it was a targeted attack from the NFL to John Gruden in order to ruin his career and his image. Um... Then, what, a week later, a few days later, Henry Ruggs and his situation, uh, 156 miles an hour, down a highway, drunk, um, gets into an accident, uh, unfortunately kills a young lady and her dog. So that happens, I mean, within a few days. A few days later, Damon Arnett is on social media, on, on live, uh, cursing and being belligerent and flashing guns and threatening people. He's released... And the Raiders just keep on chugging. I don't know how they're doing it. They actually look they're getting better with every scandal. Um, they are powering through right now. Derek Carr's current, well, I don't know if the numbers last night, but entering the week, he led the league in passing yards. And I'm pretty sure he still does because Dak missed the game. So um, he leads the league in passing yards. Uh, their defense is very opportunistic. They can get sacks. They can get sacks with Max Crosby uh, and the rest of that crew. They can they can get a sack on the quarterback. Jonathan Abrams is a heat-seeking missile in the back. Uh, obviously, Darren Wallen is a really difficult guard. Deshaun Jackson's figuring it out. He's figuring it out in Vegas. 
Um, Zay Jones is doing pretty well in Vegas as well. Hunter Renfro, obviously. Uh, but Washington has a defense that can stop that. You know, I, and of course, they don't have Chase Young, but they're still playing pretty well on defense, um, doing a little bit more scheming, in my opinion, since Chase Young's been out. They're doing a little more scheming to free people instead of just depending on the sheer talent of that front four. Um, and of course, Taylor Heineke is a freaking gamer. This dude has put together an 11-minute drive to ice out Tom Brady and to ice in... Um, their opponent last week he puts together a 10 minute 10 and a half minute drive it's insane what this guy can do uh carolina it's not carolina that's got before that but it's insane what this guy can do he's putting together consecutive weeks of these long lengthy touchdown drive and it's just it drives people up a wall um because when you're just sitting there watching and you're just sitting there watching and you're just sitting there watching. And then you haven't touched the field for real game minutes in damn near a half hour. It's really hard to all of a sudden stand up and go, all right, we're good. Let's do this. That's not as easy as one might think. Um, they beat Hooker Crook, kind of Seattle last week. They had, Again, Seattle, I think I said I got Carolina. Seattle, they put one of those long... 10 minute opening drives together right on Seattle and it just kind of it felt like it threw the Seahawks off I mean if you don't get the opening kickoff in the NFL you're probably anticipating hey we're gonna have the ball if the game starts at 7 we're gonna have the ball by 7.15 so just stay warm or whatever it's 7.30 real time and you still don't have the ball it's 7.40 real time you're finally getting the ball but at this point damn near the whole first quarter is gone you're out of rhythm. You just watch them mosey on down your your defense. It's a lot of things happening uh, when the opposing offense has to watch. And then, like I said, they did it to Brady to end the game. He warmed up several times in that possession and never got a chance to go back on the field. Um, and so it's just it's very impressive what those what those two teams can do. Again, I will not pick a winner right now. It is in Jack's pack. Along with this next game, also in Jack's pack, the AFC North. An angriest, most bitter rivalry. The Baltimore Ravens versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's in Heinz Field. Um, which with these teams, it doesn't matter. Home field usually sometimes decided. But with these two teams, it kind of doesn't matter. Um, and what's interesting about this game is that they're both coming off crappy performances. Pittsburgh got crapped on by the Cincinnati Bengals. Abused. Done. It was tragic. It was to the point where I wanted to give Big Ben a eulogy today. It was rough. I I just, wow. Um, it was to the point where it was Cincinnati, and I spoke about it last week when I was picking the Cincinnati-Pittsburgh game. I spoke about this game means a lot to Cincinnati, and they played off after the game. You know, we got a lot of bigger aspirations than Pittsburgh and this and that, but this game meant a lot to the image of the Cincinnati Bengals as far as the city is concerned, as far as... The rest of the league, towards hell, as far as I was concerned, you go in there, you're riding pretty decently high, you get punched in the mouth by Pittsburgh, you're still the same old Bengals. Um, and so that's what Pittsburgh just went through last week. Baltimore on the other side played horribly. Like I said, it was all about hook or crook. Lamar was, it looked like at a certain point, trying to throw the game away. He had four interceptions, but Baker Mayfield said, I won't let you be the only bad guy out here, buddy. 
Um, and he's all beat to hell. Baker Mayfield, he's got a shoulder, he's got a back, he's got an ankle, he's got a knee. Um, and you can see when he's running, he run, he's running very awkwardly. When he's slowing up, it's sounding like a limp slow up. He can't really put any real force to stopping his body. He has to limp back to the huddle. Um, he's pretty, pretty banged up right now. Um, and he, he, but he's going out there and trying to gut it through. I think he's costing himself money by doing that. But that's what the, but on another note, that's what the Ravens had to go through. Um, like I said, Lamar with four interceptions. They really had no real running attack. The only reason why they got down the field at all was Mark Andrews make some crazy catches. Um, otherwise, they probably lose that game. Like I said, the defense was incredibly in tuned. Um, so this rivalry is hated. It's heated. It's Wade Lewis. It's Troy Palomalu. It's Terrell Suggs. It's James Harrison. It's John Harbaugh. It's Mike Tomlin. It's MNT Bank in Baltimore. It's Hinesfield in Pittsburgh. Um, this rivalry is a lot. It's complex. It's two teams that really don't love each other. Uh, they don't even like each other. Hell, they don't even dislike each other. They fight out, hate each other. The fans got beef, all that. Um, and so they, they're going at it um, in a very intriguing game. An important game for both. We'll pick it in Jack's pack. Broncos at Chiefs. This game can decide a lot on the back end for other games I spoke about. So I spoke about... Uh, the Chargers at the Bengals and um, you know and I've talked about Washington at Raiders now Chargers and Raiders are both AFC West teams both of them right now have a pretty good chance at the playoffs both of them don't have a great chance at the division um, and one team that can help themselves out along with the rest of their fellow AFC components is Denver as they play at Kansas City um, in a game I will pick because it's not in Jack's pack. Um, they play at Kansas City. So it's a huge game for the playoffs. Denver can automatically bring Kansas City back a game. That's why these division games are so important. Head-to-head games are so important because your result directly affects them. If you beat them, you know for a fact they you got a W and they got an L. Um, instead of a situation where, you know, oh, we could win, they can win, so we kind of push or we both could lose, whatever. We win, they have to lose. Um, and so it's a huge game for Denver um, to be, to go into Kansas City and try and knock off the Chiefs. If you're the Chiefs, rather, this is a chance for you to continue your good fortune. Uh, you finally kind of looked like yourself last week. You finally got uh, some semblance of a consistent offensive pulse. And so it is very intriguing. I do mean incredibly intriguing to watch um, Kansas City attempt to defend home field against the Denver Broncos. I, I got the Chiefs here by about 10. Um, the defense is playing very well as of late. They're playing a swarming, attacking style of defense. Um, Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke, whichever one's going to start, does not have the offensive and quarterback capabilities to keep up with Apache Mahomes, especially when he's hitting his stride, especially when he's starting to roll. Uh, so I got the Chiefs here by about 10. And lastly, uh, another game we will, we will pick right now, Patriots at Bills. Um, this game, remember I spoke about that AFC East race? And I talked about how whichever one doesn't win it is going to get in the playoffs anyway, but it's different being a number two seed and being at home for wildcard weekend and the division around before potentially having to go on the road for the conference championship as opposed to being the five seed 
and being on the road in the wild card, on the road in the divisional, presumably on the road for the AFC title game. It's just a different path. Um, and these games for the Bills and Patriots cannot even mean more. These, in my opinion, are the two biggest rivals in the division, uh, the two Northeastern teams. Um, both have used each other at times as stepping stones to get what they want. Bills in the 90s, Patriots in the 2000s. Um, and now this game is going to come down to who's going to have an inside track on the first, on the first, really the first seed in the conference um, because Baltimore was on a game up over New England. And who's going to have the inside track at getting home field against everyone but Baltimore um, and just in general having an inside track on um, being able to be the first seed in the AFC East. And so this is a humongous game, massive game. The, the, the largeness of this game cannot be understated. Um, it's on Monday night. The NFL perfectly queued this one up and time it up. The Patriots are rolling in six straight. The Bills got back on the horse after getting embarrassed by the Colts. Um, and this game's at Orchard Park in Buffalo, New York. Um, I am going to pick the New England Patriots. And it's a little bit of a homer pick. But from what I've seen from the Patriots the past six weeks, and from what I've seen of the Bills the past six weeks, I mean, the Bills past six weeks had a jet loss. Um, it has a destruction by the Colts in there. The, the Patriots last six weeks are six W's. So I am definitely going to roll with New England here. Um, I'm going to say New England by five. Um, I'm not sure how you can get to five, but New England by five is what the score I would select. But up next, we're going to have our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. And now we're going to talk about our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. Um, we bounced back a little bit from the past couple of weeks. As you guys know, we were 5-0. Then we were 4-1. Then we were 1-4. Then we were 0-5. This last year, we were 2-3. Um, come back a little bit. We are six games under 500. We've got to get back over 500. Uh, professional betting is about 57%. Uh, we're currently hovering under 50, as you can six games under 500. Um, we smacked the playoffs last year. You don't get a rhythm. Um, hey, Patrick Mahomes had it down six weeks. Uh, Tom Brady ain't been looking great for the most part. Carson Wentz started off bad. Look, it, it, it's hard. Lamar Jackson's had a bad couple of weeks. It's hard. You know, this football thing is hard. Football thing is difficult. Right, we're going to get back into this, though. We're going to get ourselves back above 50%. I can assure you of that. I actually, I guarantee you of that, that we will get above 50% before this season ends. We're going to start off with a hell of a week this week. I promise you that. First off, we're going to start with, again, we pick five games. Again, some of you may be new. Um, so we're going to pick, we do five games every week. We do the point spread, all odds provided by Caesar Sports Book through the ESPN app. Um, so that's what we're going to rock with right now. Barstool, there's Barstool Sports. Um, I'm in Louisiana. We do Barstool Sports here. 
Um, although seasons will be coming soon on other apps, but Barstool Sports Book has an app. Obviously, that's got FanDuel, Fox Bet. So if you have in one of those apps and you get a number really similar, I will tell you up to a certain number I'm comfortable with doing the line. So that way you guys, you know, if I say I have a team minus four and you see minus four and a half, should you not do it or something like that? You know, so hey, we're gonna pick do the five games, pick the point spread. Last week, two or three, we're a little bit under 500. We're gonna get above 500, I promise you. I absolutely destroyed the playoffs last year. So we're gonna get this rolling. I guarantee you of that. But let's jump right into it. The first game we're gonna pick is Giants at Dolphins. Dolphins minus four, hammer the Dolphins. I do not understand this line. This is a line that if it was minus six and a half, minus seven, I'd do it hammer the Dolphins I'm confused did I miss something did we not just watch the Dolphins and Giants play the last few weeks the Dolphins are rolling they've won three three or four in a row the Giants are in a tailspin the Dolphins are very opportunistic the Giants give the ball up I don't think Daniel Jones is playing I think it's Mike Glennon um I don't know how the Giants score past 17 points, and I don't know how they keep the Dolphins scoring more than 20, less than 21. Um, when those situations collide, hammer the Dolphins minus four. Like I said, if it was minus six, minus six and a half, I'd start to ponder not doing it. But anything less than a firm seven, I'd hit it. Hammer it at minus four. If you got it at minus four, minus four and a half, hammer it at minus four. I don't get this one at all, but hey. Sometimes Vegas likes to give money away, apparently. Hammer Dolphins minus four. The second game is Colts at Texans. Colts minus 10. Hammer the Colts. This was one that I did for a quick second consider. Then I realized the Colts are pissed because they had the Bucks. They had them. They had the Bucks. The, the Bucks were dead to rights. In Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, they had them. And um, we, if you watch Hard Knocks, somebody else ran really well on them the week before. Oh, was it Buffalo? Buffalo popped the run. And Darius Leonard, DeForest Buckner, the rest of that crew said, man, we don't let anybody run on us like this. What's going on? And they shut the run down. They couldn't really stop Fournette because of the threat of Brady's passing. Also, DeForest Buckner got hurt in the middle of the game as well, so I don't recall him making a play after that. So if he came back in the game, I didn't notice him. Uh, if he didn't come back in, I would explain it. But that is a team that's going to be pissed that they had the defending Super Bowl champion and a 7-5 and record in their hands and dropped it. So you were going to make up a lot of ground on Tennessee because Tennessee lost last week. Yeah, they lost to the Patriots last week um not the Patriots but the Tennessee they're starting to falter a little bit minus Derrick Henry Ryan Tunney is coming down to earth um and so you're gonna make up a lot of ground and get dropped it so that Colts team is pissed honestly it's a little embarrassing we have a rule on this show good team gets embarrassed uh good team needs to win more than a bad team wants to win pick the good team here Colts plus Colts minus 10 if it's anything higher than 11 or 12 stay away um but Colts minus 10, very good there. If you get less than 10, definitely hammer it. But Colts minus 10 over the Texans. Washington football team at Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders minus one. Take the Raiders. I was very confused. If you would have told me Washington at Raiders, what would the spread be? 
I probably would have told you minus three and a half, minus four for the Raiders because I think they're a pretty close team in general. I think they're close. They're pretty much a pick them situation. And then, of course, Vegas traditionally does minus three or gives you three points for home field advantage. So when I saw minus one, I said it's on a neutral field. Washington be favored by two. That, that, that number didn't sit right with me. It's another one of those I don't get the line numbers on. Um, so Vegas minus one, hammer it. Anything higher than two and a half, stay away. Because I feel like Vegas is going to win this game by about three, maybe four, 28-24, uh, 31-27, somewhere in there. So if it's anything higher than three, don't touch it. If you get anything less than one, obviously hammer it. Yeah, I just don't understand the line here at all uh, when it comes down to this Washington-Vegas game. Take the Raiders here. Minus one, that feels like it's easy money. Jags at Rams. Rams minus 13. Take the Jags. And I hesitated there. I don't love the number, but the Rams are dealing with some injuries. Odell Beckham um is questionable he's dealing with a hip injury we saw him not really moving well at the end of the packers game he's questionable with a hip injury it's kept him out of practice recently uh yesterday he was limited on wednesday they're gonna see if he can go today um if he can't go today he's probably out sunday so that's gonna be a weapon down they really can't run the ball van jefferson gonna do so much now i heard the big cooper cup game but the but the jags have have had moments of great defense. Look what they did to Josh Allen and the Bills. Josh Allen and the Jags uh, had a field day. So there's moments where the Jags can make it interesting. Do I love this number? Absolutely not. Would I blame you in the slightest if you went Buffalo? Absolutely not. For this one, I'd probably money line it. I wouldn't, not Buffalo, Rams. I'd probably money line it. Uh, I wouldn't touch it probably in point spread. I, I do like the Jags plus 13 though, because that's, that is 27-14, you, you're good, you know? Or 27-15, you're good. Um, or, you know, the Rams can have those games where they start off slow. So what if it ends up 17 or 10, 13 to 7 entering the fourth, Rams score a touchdown, and a field goal is 24 to 7. You would lose it. And you know what? On the fly change. On the fly change. No, I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to change it. We're going to stay here with the Jags. I got faith in the Jags. I trusted them last week. They burned me. But I just don't see, with the Rams I've seen in the past few weeks, I don't see how it's a two-touchdown spread. This is one of those, the number is too big to pick the number. So I, it's more picking the number, not necessarily the teams. Um, in terms of it was too big to pick the number, in terms of too big to swallow 13. This, again, this is more of a picking the number being too big as opposed to the teams themselves. So I'm gonna go with Jags plus 13 over the Rams. And in the battle of the AFC North, I didn't understand this line for a myriad of reasons. And I know I trashed Big Ben and the rest of that crew, but Ravens at Steelers, Steelers plus four and a half, take the Steelers. If you have it, anything less than four, do not touch it with a 10-foot pole. I believe that half is going to be the hook. I believe it's going to be something like 28-24 or 21-17. And that half is going to be the hook to, to really hit this bet. Um, if it's, again, less than four, don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. But I have got the Steelers here, plus four and a half. This game was always close. It's a division rivalry. They don't like each other very much. And I just don't see one of them blowing out the other. That just didn't feel right when I saw the line. 
and it doesn't feel right now. Um, Steelers plus four and a half. Like I said, if it's anything less than four, stay away. I really do think that half is going to be the hook to win it. Um, and so I would go Steelers plus four and a half over the Ravens. Uh, Ray, I think Ravens win the game, but Steelers win the winning against the spread. Just to recap, Dolphins minus four over the Giants. Colts minus 10 over the Texans. Raiders minus one over Washington football team. Jags plus 13 over the Rams and Steelers plus four and a half over the Ravens. Now up next, we're going to talk about some college football. We're going to discuss a little coaching carousel, a little playoff uh, expansion talk all coming up next. Alrighty then, let's jump right into the NCAA uh, college football. What's going down with them? We've got coaching carousel. We've got $100 million contracts. We've got playoff expansion talk that's ongoing as we speak. Um, but let's start off with the $100 million men, Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley. If I would have told you two weeks ago, that Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley were both going to be relocating um, to different schools, you would not have picked the schools they went to. Because two weeks ago, what was the buzz? Buzz all through Baton Rouge. I live in Baton Rouge, so I, I, I'm my ear is pretty close to the street here. The buzz through the city was Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley. Hell, I even I even reported that there was an offer on the table along with another big name source of eight years, ninety six million dollars for him. Um, that was an offer made in that range. I mean, because it was that was that was what I was hearing. Um, and turns out Scott Woodward and the rest of the crew um, had a different name in mind. And that name was Brian Kelly of Notre Dame. You, you, Brian Kelly. Um, again, a name I did not think. I didn't even hear Brian Brian Kelly's name got mentioned in the rumor four hours before it broke. He took it like it was to the point where I I ran with it. A couple other big sources ran with it um, that, oh, LSU's reached out to Brian Kelly about potentially joining LSU, leaving their name and coming to LSU. Several people, other people joked it off like. Why would Brian Kelly leave Notre Dame? He's got the number six team in the country. This is considered a down year. He has a playoff shot. Nobody's left Notre Dame since 1907 on their own volition to go to a different school. You know, it was just kind of like all these different things. I swear to you, four hours later, if not a little bit more, Brian, I'm getting told, oh, no, it's not an interest. He, that's the coach, the 34th coach for the Louisiana State University, the LSU Tigers will be Notre Dame's Brian Kelly out of the blue. Um, it was insane. Brian Kelly has got um, the most wins by an active coach. Yes, more than Nick Saban. Um, he's got a na- na- three national coaches of the year, most by an active coach. Yes, more than Nick Saban. Um, he's turned around Central Michigan. Has Central Michigan playing well. He turned around Cincinnati and made them uh, what people are calling now the stair-stepper school. 
<laughs> you know, it's kind of like you get a good job, you get a Central Michigan job, you get a Utah, whatever. You go to Cincinnati, do a th- two or three good years there, and then you bounce out to your big offer. Um, you know, that's happened to a few of the coaches there. Brian Kelly being the most famous one, Luke Fickle. Um, is the one on the on the carousel now that is at Cincinnati and possibly getting poached away, um, and then Brian Kelly, of course, he says the LSU job. I'm like, wow! But this is following Lincoln Riley accepting the USC job, which was Boomtown. Off, I mean, out of the blue, where did this come from? That wasn't even rumored, like. You Lincoln Riley to USC that wasn't even a thing that was talked about I mean I started hearing it like the night before but it's one of those things where it's like okay whatever at this point there's smoke everywhere someone has to be burning something um, I heard it and then like I kind of heard it again that potentially it could happen it's one of those things where like oh USC is now involved with him it's one of those things kind of like okay if it happens, amazing for USC. If it doesn't, it's USC as of late. Um, you know, they, they, they get Clay Hilton's. They don't get Lincoln Riley's. Um, and then, boom, Lincoln Riley has accepted the USC job. It was so stunning where ESPN and SportsCenter, other hits like that, Preach Report, were reporting it as in a shocking turn of events. Like, I mean, it was like, where did this come from? Like I said, I heard it a little bit, but I kind of, I even, I brushed it off. Like, there's no way. Like, you know, like, it just didn't make sense. If Lincoln's going to go, I've heard, I've heard LSU for the past two, three weeks. If he's going to leave Oklahoma, he's going to go to LSU. Because there's no, there's, I mean, that's, that's like someone holding a tiki torch behind a wall. You see the light, you smell the fire, you see the smoke. There has to be fire behind this wall. Um... And instead, oh no, there was fire behind the wall, but USC was holding the torch and they were hugging Lincoln Riley. I mean, it's kind of like, hey, according to Lincoln, it came together in 48 hours. I don't necessarily believe that. Um, I don't know, many people that would believe that. But according to him, they played Bedlam Saturday night. When he got back to Norman, USC called. They spoke about it. They obviously chatted it up. He was the USC coach Sunday night, Monday morning. Um, that's the story Lincoln Riley's telling. That's the story I'm sure that he's going to preach for a while. But, I mean, I heard similar with Scott Woodward, the AD at LSU, and Brian Kelly, the new coach at LSU, that it kind of came together overnight. Like, it wasn't an overnight situation, but it was the deal was formatted. It was, the one, according to Brian Kelly, it was one conversation that sold him on LSU. Now, according to the Notre Dame Athletic Director, Brian Kelly, over the past month or so, started acting a little different. He had a few Freudian slips that the AD didn't uh, reveal what those Freudian slips were, but he had a couple of Freudian slips that kind of put the back of your mind, like you hear stuff, and then you get stuff at you, like something comes to you, and you're like, okay, smoke fire kind of thing. Um, you know, that was a meeting. Oh, that was after the last game at home. Um, apparently, Brian Kelly said this will be some of us, some of our last games. And a few ears perked up in the room. Some of ours? Not like, you know, my seniors or the seniors or whatever. The some of ours last game. Like, why would this be 
our, some of us, last game. Like, are you going somewhere kind of thing? Um, and it turns out he was. He was calling Baton Rouge, um, which is ironic because Oklahoma State played calling Baton Rouge for Lincoln Riley. Because, again, that was what we heard for weeks. Um, and then a, a Brian Kelly was calling Baton Rouge. Now, um, I watched both press conferences. Lincoln Riley is, he's, he's good. He's good behind the mic. Great behind the mic. He's the boosters in L.A. and stuff. The L.A. Sun's going to love him. Um, and Brian Kelly, conversely, is going to be loved down here in Baton Rouge. Um, there's a running joke about this southern accent. Apparently, he tried to fake um, an alleged faking of a southern accent at a halftime of the men's basketball game at LSU. Um, he did have a little southern drawl in his voice. Now, I don't know if that is was on purpose i don't know if it's even a real southern draw maybe he is always talked a little bit of something a little bit twang that's not normal for somebody from his area and we just never put two and two together or it was a fake accent i mean but the main purpose of this is to talk about the exploding contracts now lincoln riley's contract details were allegedly leaked uh by some energy guy um it was 110 million dollars it was they're buying his homes for 500k over the market value they're buying his la six million dollar home and he gets a private jet uh access um now the thing with that is now usc has denied the homes they have not denied the jets and they have not denied the 110 million dollars they have denied the homes um and we don't know how long the contract is and usc is a private institution so they do not have to expose anything saying like someone in notre dame uh you kind of had a rough estimate ballpark of what brian kelly was making which is reported seven and a half eight million dollars at notre dame but because they were a private institution they didn't have to disclose anything they don't owe anybody an explanation it's like a private company um a private non-publicly traded company they don't have to disclose what their ceo made last year um you know they they can just pay what they want and not have to worry about anything um usc's in the same boat they don't have to disclose the information so there's no way for me to confirm or deny um any rumors although it was widely denied about the purchasing of lincoln riley's homes um however brian kelly is now the coach at louisiana state university um and louisiana state university is a well public university so therefore his contract is available for anyone and everyone to read um and his contract is insane it is a confirmed 10 years, $95 million. Now, his base salary is only 600 and something grand, if memory serves me correctly, but there's all kind of automatic things kicked in, like TV show, like appearances and stuff like that he, he's doing, that his base is $95 million over 10 years. It averages nine and a half, although it's kind of stair-stepped, so it starts off at like 9.0 and works its way up to like 10.8, and then when you average it out, it's $9.95 million, somewhere in there. Um, so it kind of gets stair-steppered up, but almost like a market adjustment in a way. Um, and then he has a lot of bonuses in there. He, The two bonuses that I feel are effectively automatic as the LSU football coach. One is automatic, but the other one's effectively automatic. The one that is automatic is the longevity clause. Um, and the longevity clause is as long as he is the head coach of Louisiana State University football team, he gets $500,000 a year. 
So now you put $500,000 times 10, that's $5 million. So I had $5 million to that contract. It's 10 years, $100 million, right? Then you would look at, he gets $500,000 for being bowl eligible. He didn't get $500,000 for winning the bowl. He gets $500,000 for being bowl eligible, which is effectively an automatic at LSU. Um, since Nick Saban was hired in 1999, LSU has made a bowl game every year since. Um, Sands the five and five COVID shortened year under Ed Ogeron. At this point in LSU's program history, at the point where they have now reached where it is, like I said, effectively an automatic um, that he would be bowl eligible at LSU. Um, at this point, it is a situation where that $500,000 also is effectively guaranteed. So you can add another $500,000 to this contract, making it 10 years, um, $105 million, and he's the highest paid coach at a public university um, in the country. Brian Kelly's bonuses include 75K for the SEC championship game, or, and he gets another 75K for winning it. So if he wins the championship game, SEC championship game, that's 150K. We already spoke about the longevity bonus, and we talked about the bowl eligible bonus. But on top of the bowl eligible bonus, he gets an additional 100K if it's a New Year's Six Bowl, or if it's a playoff appearance, it's 200K. Or if it's a national title appearance, he gets 300K. So if he makes it to the national title, he gets an additional 300. He gets $800,000 for the bowl appearance. If he wins the national championship, he gets $1 million. He gets 50K for the SEC Coach of the Year and can earn an additional 75K for being National Coach of the Year. There's academic achievement bonuses. Uh, I didn't really detail it too much in the post. Uh, it's like ARP scores and things like that. Brian Kelly's big on academics, so he'll be gunning for these too. Um, of $25,000 a piece. He has a buyout, a coach buyout of $2 million to LSU if he leaves voluntarily. So if he was offered an NFL job or offered a college job, another college job and tried to take it, he would owe LSU, he would have to pay $2 million to get out of his contract. Only if Scott Woodward is the athletic director, which was incredibly interesting detail. But there's some other additional bonuses Coach uh, Brian Kelly receives. He um, gets two courtesy vehicles or two vehicle allowances of $1,000 a month. I'm sure Brian Kelly would take the two courtesy vehicles. Then he receives an interest-free home loan of 20% of the home price up to $1.2 million. So if put this in context, if Brian Kelly was to come to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I live here, and buy or buy or build a $6 million in Baton Rouge market mansion, LSU would basically give him $1.2 million interest-free on the house. Now, Brian Kelly's made $70, $80 million in his coaching career, so he's probably he's got the money. But smart people build credit, so he'll probably take that interest-free loan, pay it right back, take out his first year salary, I don't know, something, build up his credit, and get his mega mansion in Baton Rouge for $6 million, or they will pay up to $1.2 million. So if he decides to build a $12 million home, he still can only get to $1.2 million, but he gets an interest-free loan up to 20% or $1.2 million, whichever one's less. And he gets 50 hours per year of private jet time on LSU's private jets. 
Um, so that is not work related. <laughs> you know, that's not oh, recruiting on a private jet. That is um, his vacation time, whatever. He didn't have to fly commercial. He gets 50 hours of use. Uh, and I assume it's airtime. I don't assume it's, you know, two days. So you go on a three-day vacation, you got the jet there, you ain't got it going back kind of thing. Um, I feel like it is uh, airtime, 50 hours in the air that, um, 50 hours in the air that he can use the private jets. Absolutely insane contract. Um, you know, but what I was talking about, what I want to bring up with you guys is welcoming the new people because this post exploded. I posted it a to provide information, but B because it's some it's stuff I like to I like I like to see. You know, it's stuff I like. Wow, man, these so many incentives and this and that and this that and the third and um, all this other information. The post exploded by far my biggest post ever. I think my Jameis Winston post. Um, that was my first viral post had a hundred thousand reach. Uh, last I checked the Brian Kelly post, it was 2.3 million people were reached 330 some thousand. I know I gave you guys this, these numbers earlier. Um, my followers or my likes are still going up on the Facebook. Um, absolutely insane. It's crazy. I, I it's, it's really, it's really crazy right now. Um, you know, I've got people messaging me now. I've never gotten a message on my Facebook on that page. I'm getting messages now. Um, it's wild. It's really insane to see friends that have never shared any of my other posts um, sharing that one. Um, people messaging me saying people that aren't even wouldn't have no connection to me sharing. It. It's crazy. I've got verified accounts <laughs> commenting. Um, it is wild uh, what's happening. Um in terms of what's happening with the with the post it's a, it's crazy first viral post i'm glad you guys um were interested in that post as well uh billy napier from louisiana lafayette has accepted the florida job notre dame has already named its replacement defensive coordinator marcus freeman so he was there one year brian kelly hired him he was there a year hired him away ironically from lsu um because lsu thought they had him and then brian kelly swooped in and grabbed him, offered a little more money and grabbed him. So ironically, he gets Marcus Freeman. He hired a successor. So Marcus Freeman is now the head man, the 30th coach in Notre Dame Irish history. A 35-year-old takes over the Irish. Um, no word on what he's getting paid, although with these other contracts out, I'm sure he's going to want something very similar. Um, and so Marcus Freeman takes over at Notre Dame. Um, there's a few of uh other jobs open miami could potentially be open within the next few days um so that is what's going down with the coach's carousel in regards to college football playoff expansion talk that is a very interesting ongoing situation um and what's and what's interesting about that is the fact that every day it changes so Right now, there's the raging debate is not the number of teams. Eight or 12, that's kind of irrelevant. Right now, I think eight's the winning. It's the amount of automatic qualifiers. Automatic qualifiers are regardless of record. So who would have no chance in the playoff? Oregon. Oregon can't get in the playoff. In the four-team traditional, top four teams go. But an automatic qualifier, if they were to win that Pac-12 title game, is in. ACC has the 12th and the 18th ranked team. Neither one of them are going to the playoff. They're playing for 
the Orange Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, whichever one takes the uh, the ACC champion. I think it's the Orange Bowl. That's what they're playing for. If they had an automatic qualifier, Wake Forest could potentially be in the conference play, in the college football playoffs. So that's what teams are trying to figure out. If they want to do automatic qualifiers, these chances trying to figure out. Um, it would be like the NFL. The NFL isn't the top seven records in each conference. You have automatic qualifying divisions. You win your division, you're in. So the Power Five is arguing for automatic qualifying conferences. You win the Big 12, you're in. You win the SEC, you're in. You win the Big 10, you're in. And so it could be a Pac-12 situation where, remember a few years ago, Oregon, um, Utah, I think, played. And um, Utah beat Oregon or something like that. And it was like Oregon was very highly ranked. No, USC. It was USC and Oregon because Oregon got to the Rose Bowl. USC was undefeated, but they were like 7-0, and they were like 15th in the country. Weren't going to get in the playoffs because they weren't really that good of a team, but they were beating everybody on the Pac-12, and Oregon with Justin Herbert beat them in the Pac-12 title game, and they were like unranked. That unranked Oregon team would have automatic qualified into the playoffs, and so that's what uh, schools are trying to figure out now. Uh, discussions almost died, but they picked back up, luckily. So hopefully we get that situation taken care of and we get an expansion and expansion soon. I would love for it to be expanded next season. It's looking like 23 or 24, but I would love for it to get expanded next season. But up next, we're going to shift and talk about the NBA and what's going down there. guys and welcome back into the show we're going to do a quick hits nba discussion uh we're going to start off with the standings of course out east we have nets bulls wizards bucks heat Cavs, hawks celtics hornets and knicks and out west we have the suns warriors uh sun warriors Jazz, Mavs, we have the Grizzlies, Lakers, Clippers, Trailblazers, Timberwolves, and Nuggets. Um, the Trailblazers have just fired the general manager slash president of basketball operations, Neil Oshley. I hope I pronounced that correctly, Oshley. Um, following an internal investigation into what is happening or what happened inside the organization. So he has been fired and relieved of his duties. Um, Zion Williamson's injury recovery has been delayed for about a week. He was there. He always come back from his broken foot. He experienced, he experienced a little soreness in that foot. And so out of an abundance of caution, they have delayed him about a week um, that he would get back to five on five action um, in order to hopefully come back to the Pelicans who are struggling severely without him. Uh, John Morant is dealing with an injury at the moment, a sprained knee uh, he had that scary situation where people thought it might have been that torn ACL, but uh, fortunately it was not. He just sprained his knee. That did not stop the Memphis Grizzlies from beating Oklahoma City Thunder by an NBA record 73 points last night. It looked like a good high school team versus a JV team. Uh, Brooke Lopez has under is out indefinitely. 
um, due to back surgery, and and so the Bucks need another big. So they went and signed Demarcus Cousins. Uh, Boogie is back in the NBA um, to try and fill some real minutes with the Milwaukee Bucks. They need a consistent big. We'll see what Boogie has left in the tank. And lastly, we had our first false positive, really, in the NBA. Um, and it happened with the NBA's biggest star, LeBron James. Um, underwent, he was placed in health and safety protocols as he had a positive test and a negative test and a positive test. Uh, so he was placed in NBA health and safety protocols out of an abundance of caution. And then he tested negative literally over course, 24 hours, eight straight times. Um, in which case he was deemed a false positive and released out of health and safety protocols health and safety protocols in which he will play tonight against the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, he uh, apparently tweeted his discomfort about it when he tweeted like something's going fishy around here and a bunch of fish emojis. Um, and he spoke about COVID again last night, speaking on his child, uh, Bronny's. Wait, why didn't Bryce? I don't remember Bronny playing last night. But uh, speaking at their high school games, I've noticed that in a few states, the kids are playing with masks around their chin. So they have masks on their ears, but they're around their chin, you know, in the court and they never come up ever. So the point, the purpose of the mask is kind of pointless because you're just running around with a mask on your chin. I mean, you're not even, you're not protecting anything. You're, you're just, this is on your chin. It's getting wet on your chin, sweating. It's useless. Um, and so he spoke about that, but that was the first NBA major false positive. Remember we had a string, a couple in the NFL where it, uh, team whole teams, whole facilities had a contamination issue and was thinking that, man, the Giants got 14 players tested positive. And then you bring them to a new facility and it's like, nope, none of them tested positive. They were all false, false positives. So um, LeBron James, thankfully, is a false positive. You don't want anybody to get this mess. Now there's a new variant out. Um, but he was a false positive in the NBA. But up next... And close out the show, we're going to have our best for last, which will be a, dis- a quick introduction or a quick talk about the MLB lockout. guys welcome back into the show then now we're going to talk about the mlb lockout for our best for last so in the major league baseball the owners have instituted the ninth lockout in the history of the sport um it's been barreling towards this for a couple of years we spoke about it last year around this time oh uh, not around this time but last year when they were trying to discuss the COVID pay you know and players wanted every dollar on the dollar We'll take a reduction in total. Like if you want to say instead of 100% of our salary, we get 65% of our salary, cool. But what we're not going to do is take 50% of the 65%. Uh, stuff like that because the owners are trying to maintain as much of their bottom line as they could, understandably. But the players were trying to get as much money as they could in a, in a pandemic, also understandably. Um, and so they came to an agreement last year at the 11th hour baseball was pushed back a little bit but it got done um 
and then kind of ran a business as normal this past season. But we've been barreling towards a financial situation, especially with major league baseball, minor league baseball players um, speaking up severely about the conditions and the pay and stuff like that. We've been barreling towards this for a couple of years, and it finally happened. Um, so major league baseball is in a lockout. Um, Amazing, uh, the owners locked the players out. The website, the MLB website, took all images of players off of it because um, technically they're not employees of Major League Baseball right now. Um, the players responded by making silhouettes by, ma- by turning the logo of the, ma- of the logo of Major League Baseball into a silhouette. Um, both sides postured, grandstanded, saying their side was right, the other side was irrational. It's what happens. Um, in a situation like this, we've seen an NBA lockout, we've seen an NFL lockout, or almost NFL lockout, we've seen an NBA lockout, we haven't seen an NFL lockout. Um, in recent years, now Major League Baseball is doing a lockout. It should be resolved in the next few weeks. Um, a lot of times the players ultimately fold because they need the money more than the owners do. And so I expect the players to concede most of what they're posturing and grandstanding for to the owners. But it is nice to see that the players are trying to stand up for what they believe in. Now, baseball, Major League Baseball Player Association is the strongest union out of any of the major sports. And it's not even close. So if anybody has a chance to win this, I would say it's the Major League Baseball players. We're definitely going to see about that. But that is all we have for today. Um, I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And to follow uh, at JTime Sports on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.